0: will have opportunities to give back to God. You can see the QR code there if you want to give online. There's a box in the back if you'd like to put your gifts in. And really thankful that our children, our kids, have continued to be supportive of our kids' gift. The bucket is back there in the back, and we appreciate all your help with that. As you know, our Kids' Gift is primarily directed towards um, the w- efforts of Joaquin uh, in the Dominican Republic. And this happens to be the month that we're emphasizing his mission, uh, Joaquin Reyes-Para in, the, in Santiago, Dominican Republic. Uh, also his wife, Arcelina, who is uh, just such a great partner with him in that ministry. Planting churches, sharing the gospel, and what our Kids' Gift gifts go to is supporting two schools... Uh, One that's a a Haitian school for Haitian refugees and one that's kind of a preschool for Dominican kids who can't afford to get into the public school system yet. And he's very helpful in that way and we're really blessed to be associated with that mission. Somebody say amen. We're really thankful for that. Won't you stand and we'll we'll join together as we begin our worship this morning. We'll be in Psalm 62. I would encourage you and invite you to recite along with me. I find my rest in God alone. He is the one who saves me. He alone is my rock. He is the one who saves me. He is like a fort to me. I will always be secure. How long will you enemies attack me? Will all of you throw me down? I will find my rest in God alone. He is the one who gives me hope. He alone is my rock. He is the one who saves me. He is like a fort to me. I will always be secure. I depend on God to save me and to honor me. He is my mighty rock. He is my place of safety. Trust in him at all times, you people. Tell him all your troubles. God is our place of safety. And the whole church said, I sought the
1: Lord and he answered me.
0: Kids are available this morning, but uh, first grades through what are the praise kids? It's not so for those, sorry.
2: Let's all pray together. Dear Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day that we've enjoyed today and and actually the whole weekend. Father, we're thankful that we as your people all over the world can come together to worship you and praise you. Father, we, we thank you for the many blessings that you've given to us. And Father, we ask that you help us to share these blessings with others. Dear Lord, we just, as we just sang the song, Thy, thy Word, we, we, we ask for your help to look to your word for strength and to guide for guidance. Father, help us to not be silent in this evil world. Help us to defend the unborn. Help us to be generous with those in need. Father, help us to share your message of good news to everyone we come in contact with. Father, we, we thank you today for Joaquin and the work that, that he and Arcelina are doing in the Dominican Republic. We ask that you continue to bless them, to give them strength and courage, and to protect them and keep them safe. Help them to spread your good news all around, all across the island. Father, we we thank you most of all for Jesus and what he means to us, what he did for us, and Father, we we look forward for you coming quickly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. morning in
0: uh, class Alan, one of the things he talked about was passion and part of this song it talks about our passion and the word should be our passion so let's all stand and sing this together all to us
1: Precious Precious and soul, soul, sure foundation, you are measure chapter 2, verses 17 through 24. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior, because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you.
0: I think J.D. is trying to tell us that he got accepted into Stephen F. Austin University. So I know they're online, so give him a big round of applause. We're really proud of him. It's going on a music scholarship of some scholarship of some sort, and I know he would appreciate your encouragement. In Philippians chapter three, Paul goes on a little rant. He's telling people, you know, you think you have something to brag on. Let me, let me just stop for a minute. Before he's done with this paragraph, he will say, I'm a fool if I do things like this. But he goes on this little rant. If someone thinks they have reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcision on the eighth day. And if you were a good synagogue group of people, you would go, yeah, right? Okay. So, yeah. All right. So give me a, can just practice it once. All right, very good. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, yeah. the tribe of Benjamin, yeah. a Hebrew of Hebrews, yeah. in regard to the law of Pharisee. Yeah. Now see, isn't that really contradictory? We've read the gospel, and we've had no how much trouble Jesus and the Pharisees had with each other, but make no mistakes. The people who lived in the synagogues and who understood the law, the way the Jewish Teachers had read it. When you said Pharisee, they said, yeah, "Yeah." very good. As for a Pharisee, zeal, persecuting the church. As for zeal, persecuting the church. Yeah. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Yeah. You know, I think by the time he got to that last one, it was a little bit like the scene with the adulterous woman. Let the first one of you who doesn't have sin... You'd throw the stone. And I have a feeling we were very excited. And is according to the law, righteousness according to the law, faultless? And uh, uh, yeah. Paul goes on this little rant, but everything for Paul changes on the road to Damascus. So essential was that change that not immediately, but before he's done, his name will change. He goes into Damascus and the Christians are afraid because they've heard about who Saul is. When Paul visits cities, he's welcomed. Welcomed as a proclaimer of the gospel to the Gentiles. He may not be welcomed in all the synagogues and by all the Jews, but if you were a Christian, particularly if you were a Christian who was someone who didn't come from Jewish heritage, Paul was a hero because he was bringing the gospel in a very special way for you. Again, when we read Romans, when we engage in this text, and thank you, J.D., for doing such a great job with the first part of our section today, you have to put that in the context of the, of the reality of the history of the place of Rome in that in 49, the Jews were evicted by Claudius, and then in 54, Nero invited them to come back, and this created a division in the church it may well be that it created the first occurrence of a church that was entirely Gentile without any Jewish influence whatsoever. We're not exactly sure how, if the Jews left, how the Christians still had hold of the Holy Scriptures, of the, of the Law of Prophets and the Psalms, because the Jews may have taken them with them. But I have a feeling there were Jewish Christians who said, you're going to need these, and left the law with them. But it is this unique place where the church for five years got to be just entirely Gentile, and then the Jews came back to town. And not just Jews who hadn't believed and trusted in Jesus as the Messiah, but Jews who had also accepted Christ as Messiah, but had held on to the core of their heritage. Many of the traditions and, the again, the the. the decrees from the law they held on to is very precious to them and many of them that we run into in letter after letter after letter of Paul's wanted to say to the Gentile Christians you need to become Jewish you need to practice Sabbath you need to practice circumcision if you're really going to be part of God's kingdom and so when they came back to town arguments ensued you started doing what With the Lord's Supper? You started doing what on Saturdays? What do you mean it's been five years since any of our babies have been circumcised? Whatever the case may be, it created conflict. And particularly chapter 2 is a conversation that Paul has both with leaders of the Gentile elements of the church and leaders of what were the newly replanted Jewish Christians in the church. It's not likely that he's talking to Jews who have rejected Jesus, but he's still talking to Jews. And when we move into this uh, this introductory section, this chapters one through four, uh, he potentially at this point really turns his focus to the Jewish leadership. A conversation that has been interwoven interwoven in the previous parts of chapter 2 and and actually overlapping into chapter 1. And you say, well, what does that have to do with us? Except that I think we can still recognize the way in which oftentimes our churches can be divided on so many different lines. And Paul says any division in the church, any sense in which something is more important than the lordship of Jesus keeps us from being the witnesses that God has called us to be. But now he steps into this part of the argument that's really kind of focused on those who have come back to town and said, you have forgotten to observe the law. And he addresses them as those who teach others. And then he asks the question, do you teach yourselves? I'm going to pick up the reading in verse 25, and I would appreciate you. I hope that you have your Bibles out, because I realize it's on the screen, but you're going to even if you read it along on the screen, at some point I'm going to say something, and you're going to need to refer back to the text. And if you don't have it open, it won't be open on the screen. Those of you at home, I encourage you to have your Bibles open and ready, starting in chapter 2, and we'll roll over into the first eight verses of chapter 3. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? Again, this is an argument that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us because we don't necessarily put a whole lot of external regulations on whether you can be recognized as a Christian or not. For them to be a Jew and again for the Jewish Christians to be a Jew was the first step to truly being somebody who honored Christ. And this idea of circumcision was one of the most central things. It was an identifying mark in the flesh that said I have obeyed the law. But unfortunately what they were doing was and again his argument is if you put your confidence just in what you do in the flesh and it doesn't have anything to do with your heart then what is done in the flesh means nothing. And he's not alone in saying this. He is quoting the prophets who, particularly Isaiah, particularly Jeremiah, over and over again say, I understand that you're following a set of rules, but it doesn't have anything to do with faith. It doesn't have anything to do with trusting God. It doesn't have anything to do with you being able to stand up and boastfully proclaim your own righteousness. Paul will continue the argument. The one who is not circumcised physically yet obeys the law will condemn you. Who, even though you have written, have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew. It, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit not by the written code. He's used that phrase twice, and we'll come back to that in just a minute. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Is it, is it about your heart? That's what God is looking for. Skipping into, stepping into chapter 3. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted... I love this phrase, with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? What if some Jews were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being be a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if you... If our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument when I talk that way. And his answer, can you say it with me? Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory... Why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil so that good may result? Certainly not is not strong enough here. You can put a lot of different words with this, but the way it's translated is, their condemnation is complete and just. They can just go to hell. You heard it several times in this section, the idea of the law. It's something that has come up already, and it will continue to come up as we read forward. In fact, it's going to continue to come up as long as we're in the book of, of Romans. So it's important that we understand that when Paul uses that phrase, the law... He actually can mean several different things, and it is only by the context that we kind of have to reach and say, I think this looks like what he's referring to, and I think oftentimes we can make that association. But I want to kind of get the, the spectrum of what he could be talking about out in front of you as we continue to move forward. I won't intentionally bring this up week by week, but I may make reference to it. Again, remember that word, the law, means a lot of different things, and here it refers to this. So the law can be, and again, it's there in this passage—the very words of God, all of them. Okay, so everything that comes down to us, the law, the prophets, and the writings, the psalms—all come to us from God. Amen. And sometimes when Paul talks about the law, he is almost saying the scriptures. Okay, the holy scriptures. You need to understand that when Paul writes this letter, there's not the New Testament for him to refer to the scriptures that they are, they are proclaiming the gospel through, the scriptures that they are uh, bringing people to know Jesus through, the way that they're proving that he is the Messiah is the use of the law and the prophets and even the Psalms. Yes, it does appear that sayings that Jesus had and, and ways that we talk about the things that he did seem to be circulating But more than a a book like you and I have, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or again, a letter from Paul, whatever it may be, it was more about people who just had memorized those and were passing them along. And maybe they recited them together at different times to remember. The very words of God, the law as the very words of God. It can be narrowed down quite a bit. The first five books, sometimes called the Pentateuch, some called, sometimes called the law or the Torah, can be what he's talking about. Again, a, a very narrow section that, Paul, that Moses lays out the story of where the Jews came from, the story of God, how God mercifully redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt, and how God was preparing them to become his people in the promised land through the years in the wilderness. And so much of what's included in that section are... Regulations and stipulations and instructions for how you are to be a people of light and salt. People who will make a difference when you move into this promised land. And I will be known in the whole world because of the kind of people you are. One of the things in that list from the law of Moses has to do with the third item. Sometimes when Paul uses the word law... He is talking specifically about special Jewish religious traditions or what we might call sacraments. The idea of circumcision, which is one that comes up on a regular basis. The idea of the observance of the Sabbath. That Saturday was to be reserved for not working. For for being still and focusing your your mind on, on the Word of God. And assembling together at synagogue. These are things that were valued tradition the observance of the passover and other feasts that went on these were seen as the law these are the requirements of the law almost as it were but fourth he will also use it so again all the words of god which were blessed by amen we're so thankful that god left his word with us the torah the law of moses and that that those first opening passages of the bible that talks so powerfully about who god is And if we're to be a people to live in relationship with God, the way in which we have the opportunity to to reflect God's justice and God's mercy, God's truthfulness and God's faithfulness. The Jewish sacraments, which we have to kind of point to and say, this is what set the Jews apart. But then he will also talk about and use the word law when he's specifically talking about the concept, the abstract concept, of legalism the idea that I am made right by the law that by observing and again Paul's already made the argument you've heard it in previous weeks reading in previous chapters and passages Paul says I recognize that you want to say that you're right because you follow the law but nobody follows the law completely when we are honest we have to say I may move in the right direction and I may have the right intentions, but I never get completely there. So Paul uses that idea that you stand up and say, I'm better than you are because I am able to follow at least some of the laws and I at least recite them even when I don't completely keep them. And that's what he was talking about earlier. You who teach the law, but you don't keep it all the way. You teach not to steal but part of your life is not about complete integrity. You say don't have idols, but the way you worship God is, is can be sacrilegious in various kinds of ways. You need to understand that legalism is not the way to get to God. And when he uses the law in that way, he's saying that you can't get to God, you can't ever fulfill that process because you have to be completely perfect in it and no one has done that except Jesus Christ that's exactly right I want to highlight a couple of arguments very quickly that go on in this text and I'm hopeful that I can and bring some of this home maybe make it a little bit understood Paul is having a conversation with someone who's asking questions who's not in he's not present with Paul Paul has to assert what they're talking about. It's possible that Paul has gotten word from Rome. These are what people are saying about you, things akin to that. It it is an imaginary partner in the conversation. In technical terms, it's called a diatribe. It is teaching by exchanging ideas. And by the way, it's relatively foreign to us. This is not the way we really teach in our classrooms. It's not the way you and I grew up learning, okay? It isn't a, a question-answer memorization process. It's about presenting concepts, and we learn those concepts and step into them. So it's a little bit foreign, particularly on a higher kind of rhetor- rhetorical le- level. So I want to try to make sure I bring this to you. In three, one, it's a bit like a court case. Uh, you you you're familiar with watching. Law room dramas on TV or on a movie or something like that. And what often happens is somebody's giving testimony and, and one of the lawyers will stand up and say what? I object. And that's basically what Paul kind of stands up and does with this little section here. I object to what's being said about me or some misrepresentation. I object. In one, what advantage is there then in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision. And we could see this as an objection that the the Jews say. Well, if you're saying that none of that really is important to God, then, then why is there Jewishness at all? But it could also well be that these are the Gentiles kind of poking fun. See, Paul will tell you We're going to stick Paul on you. He'll tell you that that Sabbath observing and that Passover observing and that circumcising those boys, that has nothing to do with anything. And Paul says very emphatically, there is great value. Now, he will make the argument very carefully. There is great value in what God has invested in his instructions to the people known as the Jews, who came from Abraham and who were uh, particularly made into a nation by Moses and who God put kings over in the promised land. And what he says about that and 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 he will say that that's very important because it gave us a world in which God's son could come in and fulfill everything that God had always asked. So again, Jesus makes all the difference. The second little I object statement comes in verse 5. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? This is one of those silly kind of arguments. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, wait a minute, you're telling me that God is all powerful? Well, can God make something so big and heavy that he can't lift it? It's a silly argument, it's a circular argument. God doesn't need to do that. God doesn't, there's no purpose in that process. You're going in circles here. And this may well be, again, if the first objection I would actually almost say is the Gentile Christian standing up and saying, See? Ha! There's no reason to be worried about being Jewish. The Jews may turn around and say, Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If I run, righteousness brings out God's, if you're, if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? Is God unjust in bringing about his wrath? You have this little argument going on with people who can't seem to figure out that if we will put aside our individual prejudices, that we can get to Jesus. His answer to those in verse 1 who say, what advantage is there in being In in the Jews he uses this word entrusted they were entrusted with the very words of God and to a certain extent the way in which their traditions developed and and again some of these were not just human traditions God said I want you to observe the Pass Passover I want you to observe Sabbath I want you to circumcise your male sons on the eighth day while they are not a direct reflection of faithfulness to God, only that comes from the heart, if we are to be entrusted with the words of God, and if God is to make a difference through us, then those distinctives made a difference in the world around them. People came through Israel and said, there are weird kind of folks there. Why are they that way? And it points them back to, Unfortunately, too many times what they did is say, as opposed to saying, "Well, if you want to know what makes us different, look at God. Oftentimes what they wound up doing was, well, let us show you some scrolls and we can unroll where this law is. And in doing that, and in not letting all of what God said, and particularly, by the way, the most powerful things that God had to say, that Jesus emphasized, right? We've talked about these multiple weeks in this series already, that Jesus says, tell me what summarizes, what's the greatest aspect of the law? And Jesus said, God wants you to know to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, and equal to that is the law, that you will love your neighbor as yourself. The Jews would say, to love the Lord my God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is to circumcise our sons, is to observe Sabbath, is to eat kosher, is to observe Passover on a regular basis. But they so often, as you read their story, are so quick to point to their traditional sacraments as what made them law observers that they so often left out what it was to love your neighbor as yourself. They forgot justice for the poor. They forgot justice for the foreigner. They forgot justice for the widow and the orphan and those who could not take care of themselves. And so it was that God entrusted them, not just with the words of God, but a God who related to them on a personal basis. God who chose to have his his instruction, his revelation of truth and good rest with these people. And unfortunately, what they had done with it is had maligned it. But not reading the whole. By assuming that having the law is what made them special, not obeying the law. That being able to recite the scripture was more important than living into it by loving your neighbor. Living into it by letting your life be a humble representation of what God can do. As I said earlier, the response to the second argument is absolutely not. There is nothing greater than God's righteousness, and nothing can assail God's righteousness. amen? Amen? And the fact that the Jews were unfaithful to God, did not change God's faithfulness or his righteousness. And the fact that Gentiles had lost their way so completely, as we talked about in chapter 1, or could have, does not change God's righteousness. The world keeps a-changing, doesn't it? And so oftentimes, as the world changed, what the society, the culture wants us to tell us is that right and wrong change. And God says, I am right. I am righteousness. And the fullest expression of my righteousness living in human flesh was Jesus. And that will not change. I hope you can rely on that. Three quick things about understanding this idea of being a people who would see instructions for God and work towards living out those instructions in our life. I realize we are not Jews. We don't eat kosher. Maybe you eat no gluten. Maybe you eat no fat. Maybe you eat no carb. But you still aren't eating no kosher. Or you aren't eating kosher, okay? That we would choose to be people who are obedient to God. That we choose to say, I I hear the law of God. I want to learn the law of God. And I want to live in the law of God. We have to have some understanding about what that means in relationship to God. Three quick things, if I can. First of all, we need to, and I've already mentioned this in a way, recognize that God's law and His promise are lifted higher by Jesus. If we're going to interpret what the Old Testament has to say, it always has to be interpreted through Jesus. Amen? If we're going to interpret what Paul has to say in his letters to churches that we love so much, those instructions, they need to be interpreted through Jesus. I'm afraid it's too often that we take Paul and we make him, well, Jesus was okay, but we really like Paul. Paul has to be interpreted through Jesus. And if we talk about, if I want to follow God, I want to live in his law and his instruction as fully as I can, the idea, like Paul to say that I could ever complete that journey, I am going to run with all I have. Amen? I'm going to lay everything I've got on the line to be who God wants me to be, but I will always understand that the standard is not me. And I don't get to stand here in judgment of anybody else. And I don't get to decide what the rules are based on what I can do. The rules are always, the law is always, the instruction is always completed and pointed towards Jesus we recognize that as we follow we are simply leaning into and pointing towards who Jesus is and if our life if our moral and ethical life and what we say is right and wrong don't point people to Jesus or the way in which we try to follow what God asks us to do doesn't point to Jesus, then we're not doing it in a way that honors and glorifies God and and confesses and proclaims that Jesus is the completion of all that God wants us to be. Amen? Number two, if we're going to understand the law, we've got to define the difference between following God's instructions to be righteous and responding in faith to His mercy And grace. I want you to hear what the Jews did so often. Again, Isaiah is the one who will say, You who proclaim God as as your sovereign, the one who rules you, you who hold up the law, you have become, you have made God a blasphemy to the nations, but because of the way you've done it. Because you have told them we are the only righteous ones and you are just all sinners. We are the ones who have the law and it's for us so we can be special, not for you so that you can know the light and life of of God. Amen? There's a little story called Jonah. You may have heard of it before. Jonah and the big fish, I think, is the Veggie Tales version. And what you find is is that Jonah is told by God to go and proclaim my word to a foreign people. And Jonah doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And then God puts him in the fish and throws him up. And then he goes and proclaims. But before the story's over, and aren't we thankful? And Because they repent, amen? It's one of the greatest gospel meetings of all time. Because you have no idea how bad those Ninevites are. I mean, they run around with fish hitting people all the time. They're terrible folks. But the problem was, is when they repented, Jonah mourned. Because somehow or another, he saw their repentance somehow taking away from Israel's and his own righteousness. If we can include them, then what kind of club is this? If you follow God's instructions to somehow or another set yourself up as better than other people, then you are following God for the wrong reason. If on the other hand you read his law and his instruction, and it is your desire of your heart to obey what he wants you to do, because you want to show him how thankful for you are, for his grace and mercy in sending Jesus and letting what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection be applied to your life. Are you ever going to be able to say thank you enough for that? My answer to that question is no. Am I ever going to quit trying to say thank you for that? My answer is no. Third, it is my hope that we celebrate. See, what's so often interesting is we want to put God's law up there as just a bunch of rules we have to obey. But when we think about the law as a bigger context of God calls us to follow and respond to his mercy and grace because of the power of his promise. The promise that Jesus would come. The promise that Jesus took on our sins and that sin had been defeated through the resurrection. And the promise, I'm excited about it, the promise that he will come back and make all things new. I want to respond and celebrate those promises in the most humble and gentle kind of obedience. Because I don't want the light to be on me when I obey. I want the light to be on Jesus. Celebrating God's good news. A good news that revealed himself through the Jews for thousands of years. But has more fully been revealed and fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So that all of us can point to, point to not just the revelation of God's righteousness, but a righteousness that lets us share in his salvation. Amen. So I will quote again from chapter 1, verse 16. What he offers is the power of God to bring salvation. Can you finish it for me? To everyone. And that's me. And that's you. And that's also all those folks out there. I invite you to respond to that gospel. That salvation. With the sense that I want to humbly lay my life down. And I want to take up the cross within me. So that his resurrection and new creation can continually be formed in my life. Amen? If you would like to pray about that, if you would like to respond in an initial kind of step into that gospel, Waters of Baptism can be prepared, and we would be glad to welcome you into the family of God. If, you want, if you're needing prayers, I encourage you to visit with the people near you to find one of our elders who are here and visit with them. If you're online, there's always the opportunity to reach out to 979-217-3300. That's not a phone call, voice call, that's a text. But I encourage you, how can we pray for you? Whatever we can do to help you live, not in just the physical outward expressions of circumcision or baptism, or somehow an obedience to the law that says, I'm going to make myself right, but instead you want to make your heart one that is fully devoted to God. will not you come now as we stand and sing.
1: How firm of oh, foundation, foundation is fair.
0: times we prepare for our Lord's Supper and our kids are coming back from class. Let's sing uh, Be With Me, Lord, together.
3: I want to read you a brief story, and it says, Author Unknown. One day a young man was standing in the middle of the town proclaiming that he had the most beautiful heart in the whole valley. A large crowd gathered there, and they all admired his heart for it was perfect. There was not a mark or a flaw in it. Yes, they all agreed. It truly was the most beautiful heart they had ever seen. The young man was very proud and boasted more loudly about his beautiful heart. Suddenly, an old man appeared at the front of the crowd and said, Why, your heart is not nearly as beautiful as mine. The crowd and the young man looked at the old man's heart. It was beating strongly, but full of stars. It had places where the pieces had been removed and other pieces put in, but they didn't fit quite right. And there were several jagged edges. In fact, in some places, there were deep gouges where the pieces were missing. The people stared. How can he say he has the most beautiful heart? They thought. The young man looked at the old man's heart and saw its state and laughed. You must be joking, he said. "'Compare your heart with mine. "'Mine is perfect, and yours is a mess of scars and tears.' "'Yes,' said the old man. "'Yours is perfect, looking, but I would never trade with you. "'You see, every star represents a person to whom I have given my love. "'I tear out a piece of my heart and give it to them. "'And often they give me a piece of their heart, "'which fits into that empty sp- place in my heart. "'But because, of the, because the pieces aren't exact,' I have some rough edges I will cherish, because they remind me of the love we shared. Sometimes I have given pieces of my heart away, and the other person hasn't returned a piece of his heart to me. These are the empty dowages. Giving love is taking chance. Although these dowages are painful, they stay open, reminding me of the love I have for these people too and I hope someday they may return and fill the space that I have waiting. So now, do you see what true beauty is? The young man stood silently with tears running down his cheeks. He walked up to the old man, reached into his perfect and beautiful heart and ripped out a piece. He offered it to the old man with trembling hands. The old man took his offering, placed it in his heart and took a piece from his old starred heart and placed it in the wound in the young man's heart. It fit, but not perfectly, as there were some jagged edges. The young man looked at his heart, not perfect anymore, but more beautiful than ever, since love from the old man's heart flowed into his. They embraced and walked away side by side. And I wanted to share this story with you, because as we take part of the Lord's Supper, we look to Jesus who was beaten, who was flogged, spat upon, who gave his heart for each one of us. And whereas many of us here have accepted that, that heart, and we've given a piece of ours back to him, he gave his whole heart to the whole world. And there's much of the world that has not returned a piece of their heart to him. As we take of the cup, we accept his gift of love and of life. As we, we take the body, uh, the, the bread that was broken for us, we are accepting of his, his gift, his sacrifice for us. As we give of our time and our money and our abilities... We're giving, in a small way, a piece of our hearts back to the Lord. Jesus, beaten, flogged, spat upon, would not have been a pretty sight on that cross, and yet had the most beautiful heart present. Matthew 27, 26 through 31 reads, Then Pilate released Barabbas to them but he had Jesus flogged and handed over to them to be crucified. The governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a starlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, then they knelt before him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again after they had mocked him they took off the robe and put his clothes put his own clothes on him then they led him away to be crucified he had the most beautiful heart may not have looked like anything special but what we celebrate here what we remember in these little emblems is the body that was broken and the blood that was poured out for us because he gave his whole for us. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your most beautiful heart, the sacrifice that you you gave through Jesus, through the beating and the flogging and the spitting upon and the things that we do every day our sins we thank you for that we thank you for taking our place because we are not worthy for that and God I just want to thank you for your son Jesus for his willingness for the body that was broken hanging there on the cross and may we each and every day pick up our cross and follow you may we each day give a piece an extra piece of our heart to you And may the world around us see how scarred our hearts may be for you, as we also give our hearts to those around us in your name. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
3: Again, if you have the the little communion here, don't forget to flip it um, for the cup. Let's pray. Again, Father, we come before you and we thank you for the blood that was poured out, the blood that represents the life of Jesus. Father, we thank you that the, the heart that was uh, given to us is flowing this blood. And this cup that we are about to take represents the, the blood that was poured out. Father, I thank you for his life. I thank you for his sacrifice. I thank you for the gift of the church that we can be a part of. And I thank you most of all that we get to call you father and friend. Again, we thank you for the blood that was poured out for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
3: Once again, I'd like to encourage you, if you have not done so already, um, to give of a, a piece of what you've been blessed with um, to give back to the Lord. Uh, we are coming to the end of our budget discernment uh, process, and so I'd like to encourage you to, um, again, think about what you're able to give, and this three months will help us know what ministries we can or cannot do. Um, if you look at the numbers uh, where we are right now. Uh, we are doing really, really good. Um, I don't know if that slide is up there. Um, nope. Okay. But look at the back of your caring and sharing and you should be able to see that. Um, we are not far behind where we were last year. So we're doing fantastic and I cannot thank you enough. Um, obviously the, the higher the weekly budget is, the more we can do, um, for our ministries and, uh, to spread the word of God. So thank you for continuing to give. Thank you for uh, your, your sacrifice. Um, and let's pray for the, the collection. God, you are so good to us. You have blessed us with uh, the many things that we, we often take for granted. We thank you for the homes that we get to live in, the roof over our heads. We thank you for the food we get to eat. We thank you for, for your church. And we ask, Father, that you use the gifts that we give today or this week to be multiplied, to be used for your kingdom locally as well as worldwide. Father, it's our prayer that you you guide us, uh, guide our leaders, our eldership uh, to make the decisions that is best for this congregation and for the ministries that we want to, to serve. Lord, we thank you for your gifts. We thank you for the the willing hearts of this congregation and it's in jesus name we pray amen
4: good morning just want to say uh thank you for being here with us today uh in person uh, on the live stream or if you're watching a recorded version thank you it's very encouraging and uplifting, and it's an important part of Christian life to join together with other Christians in praise and worship of God. Uh, we need to not let that slack, and we haven't. Y'all have been very good about supporting the uh, the attendance to the services of the congregation. The congregation's been very good supporting financially the congregation and its ministries and actively participating in the ministries of the congregation. Thank you along all those lines. Uh, So if you Googled top ten reasons people reject Christianity or top ten reasons people don't want to go to church, I bet you would find in there uh, some mention of legalism. It's just all these laws. And I think you would also find in there some reference of, of how poorly we keep those laws. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. They preach this, but they don't do that. They condemn me, but they don't do it themselves. Um, you know, those are probably valid excuses, I would say, but not valid reasons. <laughs> the devil will give you any excuse you want to keep you from coming to church and to keep you from being a Christian. And and those are, those are good thought-provoking ones. Uh, so when I first moved to Lake Jackson— I was excited because I had every kind of tree in my yard, and I'd never had that coming from <laughs> Central Texas. And then one of my friends from work pointed out, he says, that's a fig tree. Did you know you had a fig tree? And I was like, no, I did not know I had a fig tree. And and I watched that fig tree for three or four years, and that thing never put out any figs. And after a while, I got to kind of hating that fig tree <laughs> because it wasn't that pretty of a tree. It was kind of spindly the way it had grown. And so you know what I did? I cut that tree down. It was in my way of my mowing. It wasn't bringing me enjoyment, and it wasn't bringing me any figs, you know. So it had the form of a tree. And in the lesson today, there was a form of God in the law. Uh, that they that, that no doubt there was a form there, but the question was was it the form that was being productive for God's purpose? Uh, and no, uh, there they we have a reason and Jesus preaches you know if there's a vine and it has the form of a vine and it's not bearing any fruit you know I'm going to prune that vine off just like I did with my fig tree uh, uh, Peter says that, that our pur- one of our purposes is to live such good lives among the people what will they do when we do that he says they will accuse you of not being godly but in the end it will lead them to God it, God's glory will shine so there's a purpose of the law and a good purpose as a structure but as a structure to bear fruit and we don't ever need to get caught up in just the form but we need to get uh push on through to the bearing fruit and not bearing fruit so people will say man you're a great fruit but bearing fruit to bring people to, to, to Christ for the purpose uh, in your caring and sharing there is a uh, there's a thank you note from the pregnancy help center. I encourage everybody to read that, but more importantly, I would involve everybody to get involved with the pregnancy help center. Uh, you you won't regret that. Uh, also, in the caring and sharing, there's a note. Uh, 2 p.m. today is the uh, is the uh, Campbell McBrer couple's wedding shower. So the key word there is uh, couples. Uh, guys, come and don't leave uh, don't leave Kevin hanging. Okay. Yeah. Join with them in celebrating. Uh, Also in the Caring and Sharing, there was a reference to a new class uh, series that started this morning, uh, Open Doors to Service. So this is an important uh, uh, series where you can come learn about all the different ministries that the church is participating, but not just learn about them, but also interact with shaping those ministries and interact with uh, how can you get involved in those ministries. So that, that's an important class series that you want to be involved in. Also continuing our, our life groups. Uh, there's probably different schedules going on because of spring break. Contact your life group leader. If you're not participating in a life group leader, you need to get engaged. It will help you to bear fruit if, you, if you're joined with a life group. Uh, did have a note this morning that uh, Robin Lee, uh, recently former member, his brother had passed away uh, in Pampa, Texas. Uh, at the nursing home facility that he lives at. So let's let's be in prayer with the Lee family uh, for their comforting in this time of morning. Uh, if you would, would you join me in a prayer? And following the prayer, we'll stand for a closing song. Thank you. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for bringing us here together, Father. We thank you for joining us together in through your son. We thank you for filling us with your spirit. Father, we pray that you would take this congregation and that you would fill it to overflowing with your spirit and that that would uh, flow out and it would be a light here in this community that uh, souls would be brought to you uh, because, Father, that we came here. Uh, Father, we want to lift up those that are on our continued prayer list, uh, those that are sick. We pray for healing, for strength. We pray for support from their families. Uh, from us as their friends and their brothers and sisters, we pray that you would show us how we can help each other. Uh, Father, we want to uh, lift up those that are that are uh, in mourning, and we ask for the comfort that you promised. Uh, Father, just to say some names, the family of Bill Stevens, the Lee family, uh, Chiffon and Edna and Helen and Nell and Dee, Betty and Danny, Israel, Chelsea. Father, we lift these up among among others. Uh, and we ask for your active intervention in each of those situations father we pray that uh, you would uh, equip us that you would motivate us that uh, that we would uh, get out and do the things that, that you would have us to do father this is our prayer in the name of jesus we pray this amen so i'll
3: be standing oh, oh, oh.
1: in moments like Oh